Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. As I was preparing, I, I remembered a story I heard. Um, I don't even know where I heard it, but it's fitting. So uh, there was a man years ago who had to travel by boat to take care of some family business. It was going to be a long trip, and he saved and saved and saved for his ticket. Finally got the ticket, but then was out of money and, and uh, was concerned about food, and so he just packed some cheese and crackers uh, to take with him. And about a week into the journey, when they're almost to port, uh, one of the crew members approached him and said, have you enjoyed your, your stay with us? And he said, oh, yes, my, my accommodations have been great. And he said, well, I was worried we've offended you. And he said, no, how, how would you think that? And he said, well, we haven't seen you in the dining hall this whole week. And he said, well, I didn't have enough money for the food, so I brought my own. And the crew member just said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry you didn't know, but all meals were included with your ticket, and it was all you could eat. And I heard that story, and I thought, how many Christians are living like that? How many Christians don't realize what God has given us in Christ? How many Christians are just accepting the ticket to heaven and don't know, wait, there's so much more. There's so much more than that, so much more that he's given us. You see, the ticket salvation has been paid for. Amen? That's what we just saw. It has been paid for. Everybody say it. It's been paid for. Everything is included. But I want to challenge your thinking a little bit today because a lot of times we think that heaven is the ticket. But heaven's not the ticket. Heaven is a benefit of the ticket, right? So what is the ticket? Because the ticket includes everything. The ticket includes everything. But what is the one thing that is a really, really big deal to God. What is the one thing, not just a big deal, but the big deal to God? God sent his son for it. Jesus died for it. Religion has told us it's one thing, but I'm going to challenge you this morning that even that one thing that you're thinking of right now, which is sin, which is what he put on the cross, that's the benefit that he took care of that. But God tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So pause and think about that. He made him to be sin. That's the message we just heard. He made him to be sin. He was blameless without sin, but he made him to be sin. Where did that happen? On the cross. What was the result of the cross? That we were made the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the big deal to God. That's the big deal. The number one reason that God made Jesus to be sin is so we could have right standing with God. Righteousness is right standing by, with God. That's the short definition, but I like the longer definition. It means the ability to stand before him without guilt or inferiority as if we had never sinned. That's where, we, that's where we're challenged, but that's how God sees us as if we had never sinned. Righteousness is the very thing that Lucifer and Adam both had and lost. They had right standing with God, and they lost it. Righteousness is the very thing that God fixed through the cross. That's what he fixed. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Why? So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And then the benefit, so many benefits. Heaven is a benefit. Amen? 
But, but, but I love that it's not the main thing, and I, and I say that because if it was, then that's where, well, actually, that's where a lot of times religion makes you think that's the main thing, and so someday in the sweet by and by, we'll get there. And he says, no, it's right standing right now. I'm going to prove it to you today. And he wants relationship right now with you right now, today, as if you had never sinned. Healing isn't the number one thing. It's a benefit. Prosperity isn't the number one thing. It's a benefit. Wisdom isn't the number one thing. It's a benefit. Fill in the blank. It's not the number one thing. The number one thing is righteousness. The cross produced righteousness first and foremost. Amen? It's so funny because this morning I woke up, and I wake up, I'm a writer, I blog, I write all the time, and so this is my, this is my relationship with God. Lord, what do you want to say today? And, you know, and so for years I would just write out of, you know, that one little, he'd give me a nugget, and then we'd run off and write together, and, and that's just how I grew. Um, but I still have that habit, even on days I'm not writing, Lord, what do you want to say today? And I'll just go read wherever he leads me. And today... I thought, how wonderful that he led me to Psalm 103. I hadn't thought about it. But Psalm 103, we're not going to turn there because I didn't give it to him, but I wanted to tell you. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all my iniquities, heals all my diseases, crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. These are benefits of our righteousness in Christ. Amen. But Paul knew this, and he said in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul said many such things as this, revealing what we call in Christ realities. All of his letters speak of it, all of it. I like what a friend of mine says. He says, if you were to take a picture of Jesus, you'd find him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the picture of Jesus. But if you took an x-ray of Jesus, you'd find Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and Philippians because that's where you and I are found. That's why Paul could say, I've been crucified with Christ. He wasn't there, but he see, saw himself through the x-ray of the cross, and he knew that's where I was with him. Amen. But in Christ's realities really means the truth of who you are as a believer. Who are you as a believer? Now, in Christ's realities, I think it's important to understand this. I was not uh, an English major. I was a finance major. I'll tell you more about that later. But uh, I didn't actually like English. But I'm going to give you a short English lesson because it's appropriate right now. But in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. So the word in is a preposition, okay? Now, if you have never been to my house, and I think only these three have, you haven't even been to my house. <laughs> but even if you've never been to my house, could you draw a stick figure of that in my house? Could you draw a stick figure picture, a little roof over a head with a little stick figure girl, right? You could draw that in my house. That's the picture. If I change the preposition to on my house, does that change your picture at all? Yeah, it does because the preposition always is about placement, all right? So if I say Christ, who do you think of? Jesus. You should think of Jesus, the anointed one. But if I say in Christ, who should you think of? Me. You are in Christ. Every scripture in the Bible that says in him, in whom, in Christ is you. That is a picture of you, and that's what all of Paul's letters were about. In Christ realities. What he did on the cross that produces who we are today. What it produced. What did the cross produce? The righteousness of God in him. In Christ. Amen. 
I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. There's so many things that I would love to just spew out on you <laughs> today of the things that God has shown me about who I am in Christ because I didn't understand these things and I didn't accept them readily. But he took me to 1 Peter 1 as a, a great launching pad for us today. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read a little bit, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll pause there because that jumped out at me yesterday morning when I was thinking and not knowing what Pastor Jen was going to really how she was going to tie things together. But when it says begotten us again, it's because he had a relationship with Adam in the garden right? And it was broken. And so what did he do through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? We are born again. We are begotten again into a relationship with him. That was the goal. So it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, not a dead hope, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everybody say that. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we just experienced. Even if you already knew that, you experienced it anew. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So let's be honest. Trials stretch us. Trials stretch us, right? But because we have a revelation of Jesus, we get through it. Right? It's through that revelation of Jesus Christ that we get through things. We're able to get through it. Verse 10 goes, Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You see, the prophets saw things to come. The crucifixion of Christ and the glories that would follow. They had prophetic revelation. Okay? That's not the end of the story. Look at verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. Everybody say, to me. Not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. What? What? That, that is intriguing to me because the prophets of old had a taste of something that you and I only have real access to. Can you imagine having a dream of something? How many of you have dreams? Come on. And you want them fulfilled. There's nothing. What does the Bible say? Heart, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Right? Can you imagine just having a dream and a vision of something that they, you know is not going to happen in your lifetime? It's not going to happen to you. It's not for you. You'll be included later, but I'm going to give you the vision now. There's a purpose for me giving it now. God gave it. Well, what was it? It was New Testament salvation. It was a life in Christ, a life in Christ. And they recognized that it would be glorious. That's their word, glorious. So glorious that angels were curious about it. 
Picture that for a moment, can you? Because it said in verse uh, 11, look at it, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And I read that and I thought, we're not talking about the day that Jesus was born and a host of angels just filled the sky and started singing. That's not what it's talking about. That's not the glories that would follow. Angels were so curious about this, they peered over out of heaven and looked down and said, do they know what they have? A life in Christ? Jesus resurrected, living on the inside of them? Do they know what they have? Do they know what they carry? I think most of heaven is like, somebody wake up and tell them what's on the inside of them. I'm going to be honest. I'm not a fan of the crucifix. I'm not. I'm glad you said it at the beginning. I'm not. Why? Because that's not where he still is. But I'm so glad she took us there today because I want to live. I've been saved 30 years now. I want to live every day reminded, mindful of what he did for me. I don't ever want to forget it. I want to get so far away from the cross that I don't remember what he did. But I'm not living at the foot of the cross with him still hanging there. No, he is a resurrected Christ. Amen. And then of all things, he decided to make my heart his home. Whoo, come on. And angels go, do they know what they have? My gosh, life in Christ is glorious. Jump over one chapter. Peter went on to explain in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, but you, everybody say me. me. Come on, say it like you mean it. Me. me. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you, everybody say me. me. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Everybody say, not judgment. We didn't receive judgment. We received mercy. Mercy. Amen. Other translations, I'll just quote these to you real quick. The message says, you were chosen to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Come on, that's so good. And if you've lived that, you know how good that is. The New Living says you are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are the people of God. Come on, we didn't have an identity before Christ. Come on, somebody knew my name, you know. It was on my birth certificate. You could say that was my identity, but no, I found my identity in Christ and him alone. So the truth is, and this is what I want you to carry away today, is that limited freedom comes from a limited revelation of Jesus and what he did for us. If you feel limited, like I just feel bound, I know I'm saved, but I feel bound, it's because you need more revelation more revelation. The Bible says, we just read it, God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay? So what is darkness? In this translation, or in this scripture, in the Greek, darkness is a reference to spiritual things. Okay? It implies ignorance and blindness. Now, let me say this. Ignorance just simply means to not know something. I just don't know. But 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, lest Satan take advantage of us, we should not be ignorant of his devices. Satan's greatest weapon against any of us is what we don't know. People say, oh, what I don't know, don't hurt me. Oh, yeah, it does. It does in this realm, right? He loves to take advantage of us, what we don't know. And, and, and let me just add this. One synonym for ignorance is to ignore. Come on, let's not ignore it, what he's done for us, who he's made us to be. 
Come on, people think that it's holy to pay penance all the time. Come on, Jesus did it. I'm not saying that I shouldn't and that I'm not humbled by it, but he wants me to walk in the victory that he has given me. He doesn't need any of us to go back to the cross. He did it. Light. He's called us out of darkness into light. This word in the Greek describes illumination. I just like that word. Can y'all say it? Illumination. I like it. Illumination. I don't know. I say it with, are you thinking of Pixar? Illumination. Yeah, okay. Anyway, ask me later if you didn't get that. But what is illumination? Something that gives true knowledge of God and spiritual things. Okay? So listen to this. Illumination is actually the ability to see as God sees. Illumination. To go from darkness to light. From ignorance to illumination. From darkness to see how God sees. How he sees us. Amen? So I want you to think about this. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. How many think he's amazing? Wonderful. Could we just go around the room and give like... 1,400, you know, descriptions of our love for him. He is wonderful. He is amazing. So what kind of outer proportion image do we have when we see him, the head, as amazing and wonderful and see ourselves as small, inferior, and insignificant? If a child brought you a picture that has this massive head on it with a little bitty body, you'd say, oh, that's cute, but it's not right. <laughs> right? And God says, I need you to see yourself the way I see you. You are connected to the head. 2 Corinthians 5.21, but this time in the Passion, God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him, our union with him. So we don't have a disconnected head from the body, right? There is union with Christ. And understanding righteousness is a big key to your illumination. It's a big Bible word, big Bible word. I always describe it as a suitcase. That's how I like to teach about righteousness. It is a big old suitcase. How many girls in here are like me? I know these, these two at least. I'm not sure about Jill, but I, I'm pretty sure these two. This one, she and I have traveled a lot. How, how many of you show up to the airport, they allow 50 pounds, and you are praying it's not 51? Huh? Because you're going to put everything in there allowable. If they're going to let me, and we're like walking up to the gate going, Stacey, you got room? I don't know. Don't ask me. I'm not going to have room for your stuff too. But see, to me, righteousness is a big suitcase. And when we unzip it, we find out, wow, look at everything that's in there. I don't want to miss one thing. I want the whole thing, whatever it is. So it's this big Bible word that we don't always understand. But it's throughout the Old and the New Testament. Throughout the Old and the New. And it always describes our position and our empowerment. Our position and our empowerment. And I didn't write this down either. I'm kind of flowing for a minute. But over in Deuteronomy 6.25, Moses said, and this is when the law came in to help them, you know, while God was making the way to fulfill what he said in Genesis chapter 3, Moses was, was following what God was telling him about the law. And he told the people, he said, it will be righteousness to us if we fulfill all the law. So and that was to be right with God, you're going to have to do it all. But what is Galatians? Paul had the revelation. He says, but the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ because you would realize I can't do it all. I need a Savior. And every person in this room has felt that at some time or another. I can't. I have tried and I can't. And he's like, good. Now we can do something with that. 
Because as long as you think you have to earn it and that you have to be on the cross or that you have to be deserving or worthy, we're never going to fulfill what I really want to do with you. And it does hinder our walk with him. He's walking with us, but it hinders our freedom. You see, the world can't offer righteousness. Only God can make you righteous and give you right standing. And the good news is, it's instant at salvation. It's instant. You are not trying to earn it. Look at Romans 10, 9 and 10. We know these verses. They're all about salvation. If you've been a Christian even a short while, you know these verses. But let's look at it in this light because Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So these verses are telling us if you believe in what God did at the cross through Jesus, you will be, you are saved. Simple as that. But notice what it says, at the same time that you gave your heart to Jesus, you also received right standing with God. Verse 10 is an explanation of verse 9. What happened? For with the heart one believed unto what? Right standing with God. See, a lot of times people get saved, these two precious ladies that came up. Let me be the first to tell you that you don't have to now leave this altar and try to go earn it. It was instant. The minute you gave your heart to Jesus, he stood up and made a great big declaration and says, there's my child, that's my daughter right there, and she's in right standing with me. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're not working towards it. It's done. It's already done. How? Through the blood of Jesus. The exchange. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. This is where we wrestle. How many of you understand and believe Jesus became sin for you? We believe that. A little bolder. How many believe that? Like that's not a, I mean, you could go, seriously, I've traveled and I've gone to so many denominations. That's not the hard question. How many people believe that Jesus paid for your sins? He became sin for you, right? The hard part of the question is the exchange. What was on the other side of that? Because he knew no sin. He was blameless. He knew no sin. You and I had sin. And he said, here, I'm going to trade places with you. I'm going to take your sin, and you're going to take my righteousness. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. The minute that we give our heart to him, that's what we receive. Now, now here, here's the problem is that we wrestle with that because we know what we've done. And we think about it, and we go, well, wait a minute, though. If God made Jesus, who knew no sin, but he was able, somehow God was able to make Jesus be sin, then there's not a woman in here that could come and convince me that God is not able to make you righteous. If he was able to make Jesus sin, I'm telling you, he is well able, and he did accomplish it. He himself said, it is finished. Think about it again, right standing with God. The ability, the ability. I was talking to Adrian. We were walking to the bathroom. I said, did you play basketball? She's like, yes. I just knew she did. You just know them, you know. I am a basketball fan. I love basketball. But I told her this. I said, I did not, uh, uh, how did I word it? I said, I played for the best and with the best, and they made me look good. I was not good. (laughs) But I played for a state championship coach and a two Two uh, state, four championship ring, one as a player, one as a coach. I played with someone that has both a coach's ring and a player's ring for the final four championship. I know. We played in her driveway all the time. I don't know why I didn't follow her footsteps. But anyway, 
Why do I tell you that? Is because I wanted the ability, but I didn't have the natural ability, okay? But, but that's okay with God because he says, right, standing with me, I'm going to give you the ability to stand before me without guilt or inferiority as if you had never sinned. That's what he does for us. This is who you are in Christ. And I need to say this, faith and feelings are not the same thing. You're not always going to feel righteous. You don't always feel saved. Come on. But it don't matter how we feel. What are we saved? What are we righteous? They go hand in hand. Okay? So I was raised in a good home. I'm very grateful for my family. My parents, however, had been married three times each, so I came from a broken home. I didn't really realize how broken until I was talking to my daughter about it one day and telling her some stuff, and she's just looking at me like, what? I was like, oh, that was my normal. <laughs> That's just my normal. I don't know what you're, you know. And, uh, but I got saved at 21. I'm the oldest of several kids, mixed marriages, but I'm the oldest, and my, my only uh, uh, brother, we have the same parents, so I have half-brothers, step-brothers, step-sisters, but my brother got saved in high school, and uh, when he got saved, he was on a mission to get his sister saved. And uh, I was a partier. I was always searching. Um, lived in Leveland, Texas, which is where South Plains College is. So we had, you know, college kids that were running around. So you always wanted to, you know, be a part of that crowd or whatever. And he would tell me, Daphne, you're going to hell. And I'd say, I mean, he was just blunt. Daphne, you're going to hell. He did it so lovingly. But Daphne, but my response was worse. Thank you, but I'm having a good time getting there. Like, I literally said that. That's the ignorance and the blindness. <laughs> there you go. But I just, I didn't understand. Boy, he just prayed for me and prayed for me. Um, I graduated from South Plains College, went to Texas Tech University, and, uh, and just partied more than I was going to class. Eventually had to drop out. And I was at the bottom of the bottom. And my brother had gotten our dad saved, who at this moment was not remarried. He was in between his second and third marriage. He had gotten my dad saved, and so they started going to a church in Lubbock, and they would call me and ask me if I would go to church with them. And I would go every now and then just to get them off my back. Anybody done that? Okay, you know. And, uh, but I really wasn't interested. But when I hit the bottom, and, and I always want to say this to people, it's okay if they hit the bottom because that's when you find up. Okay? It's hard to watch. But I hit the bottom. I wasn't in a very good place at all. And I woke up one morning just like, what am I doing with my life? And I just thought about my brother. And we came from the same story. And yet he had such joy. And the only thing I could think of was Jesus. It has to be that Jesus. That's the only difference in our stories. And so all on my own, I got up and I went to church one day. And I thought that meant I was saved. Nobody invited me. I walked in the doors. I was sitting in the company. And I sat there for a long time. And, uh, and one day, months later, the pastor gave an altar call. And I'd seen him do it every week. He was faithful to give the altar call. And all of a sudden, my heart was just pounding on the inside of me. I knew, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I have never given my heart to Jesus. And then I was embarrassed because of my brother, embarrassed because he had introduced me to who would someday be my husband. I was embarrassed, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. And, uh, and so to fast forward where I want to go, basically he said after the altar call, which I missed, he said, and if you want to become a member, come on down. And so I just thought, that makes more sense. I've been here a while. They'll assume that's natural, you know. So I went down, and I, when we got to the back, 
it was my future father-in-law. I told him the truth and said, I, I don't know what y'all do back here, but I need to be saved. And, and he led me to the Lord. And I wish I could tell you that the next chapter of my story was glorious, that I was like my brother getting everybody saved. But it wasn't. All of a sudden, the revelation of Jesus made me feel very guilty. The enemy came to rob that seed immediately, and he replayed in my mind the things that I had done, the promiscuity, the sins, over and over, tormenting me. And I would come to church, and I would just cry out, God, I'm so sorry. That's why this touches me. I'm so sorry I cried that prayer so many times. I'm so sorry that you had to do that for me. Oh, I'm going to earn it. I'm going I'm to make it better. And very quickly, I failed. My husband and I, and I'm glad to say that our testimony now is we've been pastors for 25 years, but we had to go tell our parents I was pregnant. That wasn't great news because he's, he's a PK. He's a preacher's kid. This was not good news. We'd known each other six months. Not good news. And all I could think about was I failed already. Already I failed. I don't know how to make this right. We got married. We had our son. We were doing the best that we could. We certainly loved each other. That we did know. As fast as it was, we loved each other. But, man, we were a mess. I was a mess. And uh, I was struggling with my relationship with God. And we were supposed to go to a family event. And so Todd took Benjamin um, wherever we, I, I don't know why. We normally went in two cars. But for whatever reason, he was going to go early. And he took Benjamin, and I was home alone. And so I went to my bathroom to go get ready. And I had prayed a prayer so many times, like the silent one that you don't actually say out loud. I'm sorry, God. And here I was in front of my mirror getting ready. And the Holy Spirit said, look into your mirror. And I always tell people, I don't know if you would have heard the voice, but it was so audible to me. But it wasn't scary. And so I looked. I looked in the mirror expecting to find something wrong again. And the Holy Spirit just said, look closer. So I got closer into the mirror and I looked into my own eyes. And for the first time, I saw what God saw. I saw a girl who was so ashamed and trying so hard. And he said, you tell her you love her and you forgive her. Because the problem was never that God didn't love me and forgive me. The problem was that Daphne didn't love me and forgive me. And it took me a bit to say that. I cried so many tears that day. Said it. How many of you say things to get out of trouble? I said it real quick. The Lord's like, mm, we're going to do that again. <laughs> so I had to say it again when I left. And it's so interesting. I didn't know what she was going to do when she says, come up here as the illustration of 150 pounds. But uh, as soon as I left the bathroom, do you know I felt 150 pounds lighter? 150 pounds lighter because why? I had decided that she wasn't worthy, so I'm going to carry her around with me and pay the penance for that sin. I was, carrying my, I was carrying my own sin. I was carrying the guilt and the condemnation that God never asked me to carry. Ephesians 4, if you'll look at this real quick. Verse 17, Paul said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. Everybody say, no illumination. Just no illumination. Being alienated. What does it create? Being alienated from the life of God. Because of why? The ignorance that is in them. 
because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling had given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Guys, he's talking to Gentiles, which is a reference to those before Christ. But I can tell you I have lived this as a believer because the enemy's bag of tricks doesn't change, and if you want to believe his lies, he'll let you believe his lies. But look at the next verse, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. In other words, this is not your identity anymore. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Everybody say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Everyone say, by his design. Notice that it says we put off the old man to put on the new man, right, that was created according to God in true righteousness, not self-righteousness, not false righteousness. And real quickly, I'll just add this, and then we're going to pray for you, but um, my son, who is about to be a father in the next couple of days, is his first child. He's my middle son. And when he was born, he was breech. And he was, so I had to go into the hospital and they had to turn him. I won't go into all the story, but they had to turn him and induce labor immediately. And, uh, and so you would think it was four weeks early that they would turn him and say, now go home, bed rest, wait, four weeks, we're going to deliver in a few weeks, right? No, they told me the reason we're going to induce immediately is because although it was dangerous, he will return to what is comfortable, when, when I read these verses in Ephesians, I remembered that story, and the Lord said, that's what happened to you, that you wanted to put off the old, but because you weren't renewed in the spirit of your mind, you didn't have illumination, you didn't know how to wear or walk in the new. That's why I told you that the big key to your illumination is understanding righteousness and who you've been made in Christ. You could spend the rest of your days on earth studying that and believing that, choosing to believe that, and you will go from faith to faith and glory to glory. The prophet saw it. Isaiah 61, 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Right? So what is that? You remember the prodigal son? What did the father do? He put new clothes on him to remind him who he is. And lastly... Colossians 1.19, it just says, it pleased the Father that in him, that's us, in him, in whom, in Christ, anytime you see that, that's me, that's you, all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies, where? In your mind. In your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. To what? Present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. In his sight. You can look in your mirror like I did and not see it. But in his sight, illumination is that you can see what he sees. To see yourself as he already sees you. So how about we just rise up to it and receive it and believe it. In the front of all of my Bibles, it says, the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. That's why I had to tell you, faith and feelings aren't the same thing. I had to choose to believe this word.
It is the truth. Amen? Amen. To present you. I have to add this. To present you. If you go look it up in the Greek, it means to cause to stand. To ca- I'm going to cause you to stand. Where, how? Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Right standing with God. Everybody say it again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ by his design. Amen. I want you to watch this video, and then I'm going to ask you to come up front. First time I saw that scene, I said, I've had a hug like that. She said, I'm so sorry. There's not a one of us in this room that hasn't whispered that to Jesus at some point. I'm so sorry. And that response is the same for you and I. 
no matter what you've done, no matter how you measure your sin, no matter if you think, but I should have known better. No, he's the one that causes us to stand. So I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet right now. I'm going to ask you to do this again, and I know it sounds repetitive, but I'm going to tell you why in a moment, but say this with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Say it again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Everyone, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. The Holy Spirit told me one time, have them say it. Have them say it and repeat it because when they can say it with a smile, you'll know they believe it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who you are. It is your declaration. It is your identity. And I challenge you to say that. Wake up every day and say that. But right here in this moment, I realize that many of you relate to Mary Magdalene. Fallen, feeling unworthy. And I'm just going to invite you to come up here. Our prayer team wants to agree with you that that lie of the enemy is loosed off of your life today and forever. So there is no shame in coming forward and saying, I want that. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of wrestling. I'm tired of feeling unworthy. And so I just invite you just to come. Come now.